All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Twimmel AI podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Sam Charrington, and today I'm joined by Audrey Smith, the Chief Operating Officer at ML Twist. Before we get into today's conversation, be sure to take a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts or your listening platform of choice. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. Audrey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am really looking forward to our conversation. For those listening in with us, if you've been listening to the show recently, you know that we've been digging deep into data-centric AI, and this conversation will continue in this theme. And I'm super excited to have Audrey on. She's got a ton of experience with labeling, label ops, and so much more in this space. So Audrey, once again, welcome. Thanks, Sam. (laughs) Let's start with a little bit about your background and how you came to work in machine learning. Sure. So I actually studied law. I I am a lawyer. I studied in France. You can hear my accent, of course. And I was a lawyer in France for three years before I decided that I wanted to have an international experience. So I went to the UK, worked there for five years. And then when I moved to the US in 2014, I was uh, really looking forward to finding my place into the tech industry. And so then I had no technical background, didn't know anything about machine learning. So I didn't know exactly how I would start, but I applied for jobs basically where you needed to have French speaking skills. And my first job was to listen to Siri and listen especially to French speakers talking to Siri. Hmm. And that's the start of my data labeling journey, really. That's when I learned about machine learning and how data labeling is so important to it. And I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. Went to Google, worked on way more projects linked to GDPR compliance, user experience, ads policy, and all around data labeling. And I got hooked. So I went to Amazon, stayed there for four years, worked in data labeling operation as well, helping Amazonian team with their machine learning projects. Got lucky to work on a lot of different projects pertaining to different formats like video, image, text. And then after four years, went to Labelbox when they were still Series A. And I was the director of labeling operation over there for a couple of years. And then join ML Twist a few months ago as the chief operating officer. Awesome. Awesome. Why don't you give us a quick summary of ML Twist? Sure. So really ML Twist is coming from uh, the idea that they are, the space in the data labeling space for machine learning is very crowded at the moment. There are so many different players on the market and they're all offering different solutions. And they are like even newcomers on the market. So if you think about it, there are over 80 data labeling platforms out there and so much more uh, when it comes to workforce labeling companies. And now you have uh, the newcomers that are the synthetic data platforms, the augmented data platform and so on and so on. And This is all great. All this technology is great, but they don't connect to each other in a very easy way. Mm -hmm. And they are like, it's pretty siloed. And a lot of them are even specialized in certain verticals or in certain formats. And so the idea behind ML Twist is to connect all this ecosystem and give companies the choice to use the right tool for the right use case, if that makes sense. Got it. So kind of like middleware for your labeling 
software and systems? Yeah, we were called middleware. I think that's okay to call us middleware. And really like the idea is to be the glue and connect all the different tooling so that like a data science team doesn't spend time looking for the right tool, the right workforce, the right everything, and just easily connect all the pieces of the puzzle together to get their machine machine learning model trained and performing at the right level. Awesome. So let's maybe start by talking about some of the commonalities you've experienced as you've tackled labeling across many different companies and and customers. You know, what's the typical journey for an organization getting started with labeling? Yeah, that's a great question. So whether it's a small startup starting their ML journey or a big company who wants to enter the AI world, this journey is very similar. Is As I mentioned earlier, the space is very crowded with a lot of very great tools on the market. And the idea for these companies that just start their journey is that they don't have a data labeling operation person in-house. And Usually data scientists, machine learning engineers, or product managers are the ones like who are really trying to get like all the right pieces in place. And without any knowledge, without any background, it's quite overwhelming to go after it. And you have to find your right data labeling tool. And as I said, there are many on the market. Which one is the best one for your use case? and then the right workforce. And depending on what you want to label, each workforce is going to have their own strengths and their own weaknesses. So like you have to find, assess them, and then uh, make your own choice and selection. And that's just, it takes time. It takes like probably a few months to get there. And once you get that in place, there is also the formatting issue, right? Because you have your data in-house with a certain format and you need to connect that to the data labeling platform that you're going to be using. So data scientists are going to have constantly to change the format to be able to plug into that data labeling tool. And that's also another issue that needs to be tackled. So yeah, definitely you need to think about all those pieces. And once you find those pieces and you connect them, you have to train, you have to create your task put them on the platform, train the workforce on the task and go about quality control, look at the quality because it's not about just reaching the high quality of your data. It's also maintaining it as you go through your all your rounds of data labeling. And that's that can be very challenging. In the early days of labeling, when folks would use crowdsource, like commoditized crowdsource platforms like Mechanical Turk, Data quality was uh, and continues to be a huge issue and folks would do like have multiple labelers and try to kind of abstract away from the individual labeler to, to achieve levels of quality. You know, when you're using one of these labeling services, is that done for you or are you still having to kind of manually implement these kinds of tricks in order to achieve high quality labels? So you still have to do that, unfortunately. Like the idea is that the means that you can just like create a task and then set it up on the platform and have uh, labelers in another part of the world being able to nail it from the first pass is like, it's not going to work. It can work. So crowdsourcing <laughs> is a great option, definitely when it comes to easy tasks, to tasks where you think that the knowledge is universal, right? Like, is there a dog or is there a cat on the picture? You can trust anyone to know the difference. Mm-hmm. When it comes to complex tasks, then you need guidelines, you need rules in place that you're going to train people on so that they can 
again, annotate with high quality, but also consistently. And that's part of the challenge. And that means that companies going through that journey have to accept that feedback is very important on the top of quality control. They need to train the people. It's like going to school. You can't know, like first you train and then you get tested and then you, you can deliver high quality data. And that's exactly the mindset that companies should use when they start working with outsourced labeling workforces. Mm -hmm. I had a really interesting conversation recently as part of this series with Shine Mahanti at Watchful. And we were talking about this same journey and in particular, when companies do labeling inside, in-house versus when mm -hmm. to outsource it. And the key idea that he raised was this idea of context. Like you can outsource when there's no context required to correctly label. Like you said, you know, anyone can know a dog from a cat or even a stop sign on a road. But if some deep business context is required, that is going to have to be done in-house. Is that your experience as well? Not exactly. So I had a chance over the years to test some of those ideas and mm -hmm. we were even able to test. So companies were coming to us and asking us, look, I really need doctors to annotate my data because that requires medical knowledge. Mm -hmm. And on the side, we were testing something else. We were saying, okay, let's do it with doctors, but let's do it also with regular labelers. And maybe a doctor comes in and train the people on what to do and what to recognize. And actually, we got pretty similar quality from both ranges. So it doesn't have to be all done internally because these people have the right knowledge. It can be that we are able to transfer the knowledge. It might take longer. Mm -hmm but we can get to a very similar quality over time. That's going to be tremendously less expensive because of that. So that there are pros and cons, but it's not entirely true from my experience. Mm, but it sounds like you have to be committed to that training and, and knowledge transfer and feedback loop in order to achieve the level of quality you'd want with non-subject matter expert labelers. Exactly. And then that's where every company is going to make a choice. If they have to get a very fast turnaround time with high quality, obviously you have to go with an internal team that's going to be very knowledgeable on the topic they are labeling. But if you have a bit of time and if you're cost sensitive, then you might go the other route, take a bit longer, but get to the same quality after a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's maybe continue on this this training angle. Are there things that you've learned about how to effectively train and support labelers in the process? Yes, absolutely. I think that as the data labeling operation people, really like one of the skills that you have to master is being able to translate technical requirements into simple tasks. And that's really like what it is about. When you get to talk to machine learning engineers or data scientists about what they want, what they imagine that the task should be about and how to handle it and so on, it can be very confusing and it can go like in a different places at the same time. So the idea is to get all these like requirements and put them on paper and get the idea, okay, what do they really want? and make it as simple as possible when you translate that into guidelines that's going to be uh, helping the team getting trained on the task. So really, 
that's actually something I learned doing over the years is that you have to translate, you have to think as a labeler that has no technical background and tell them what they need to do. And one thing I really like doing with the labelers is once they have worked on a product for months, giving them more context about why they are doing that is very important because that gives them the purpose of why they are doing this task on a daily basis. Once the product has been released publicly and there is like press release or a website talking about it, I love sending that to the labeling team that worked on it so that they really understand and they can really see and share like the success of the product. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just help them be part of the team. Exactly. Can you maybe give us an example of when you think of kind of the most complex labeling tasks that you've tackled, give us an example of one of those and some of the things that you did from a training and support perspective to help that team be successful? Oh, that's a great question. I think one of the most complex uh, use cases I worked on was like touching to augmented reality. I worked on like the idea about having an item that would be you would be able to see in your living room with like the real size to see if you would like to buy this couch or this lamp or this kettle. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a very complex workflow. The task in itself was not super complex, but on my end, like on the labeling operation side of things, that was very complicated because of the technology that we were using, we were not able to use any item that we had, we couldn't like, for instance, have some sort of spiky item going through that technology that would render this like AR vision, ER like vision of this item. So there was like this like old selection of the items that could go through that technology that we were using. And then you would have to, after that, talk with the product management team that had like all these like dates to release all these products so that they could be available on the marketplace. And so we had to juggle all of this like huge volume and at the same time quality issues that were happening on the top of that, once there was the ER uh, reproduction of the item, like some of them were not good at all and that couldn't be publicly released on the website. So we had to go through some quality control. Anyway, the entire <laughs> workflow was very complex and was handled by a lot of different stakeholders, a lot of different teams inside and outside of the company. And that was pretty stressful to handle, but that worked really well in the end. Mm -hmm. It sounds like one of the takeaways there is that just the place of labeling in the overall kind of process of delivering a product, it's maybe easy to think of, hey, before you start this project, you've got this big data set, you send it off to some labelers, you get back label data set, and then you kind of start with the product of productizing or building whatever you want. But it sounds like at least in the case of this workflow that you're describing, you were kind of in the loop of productizing this AR VR experience and the challenges that you were experiencing kind of just related to the, the complexity of delivering the product overall. Yeah, that's very true. And I think that's like really the core of the data labeling operation team is that, is that we are in the middle. We are not, we can be at the start of it, but there is always this idea that there is a product that's going to be released at the end. And what does that mean is that as a data labeling operation person, you are dealing with humans, you are dealing with like 
a labeling team, you are dealing with the product managers, you are dealing like with so many people having their own requirements, but also their own limitations. And you have to juggle all of that to make sure that the product is going to be released on time. And that's true whether or not you are a data labeling operation team internally or you are just like these companies outsourcing all of that piece. This is very central to the success of a product release for sure. Hmm. You've mentioned data labeling operations uh, a few times. How kind of ubiquitous and mature is that as a, a role, a, a job title, a function to most large organizations that are you know, have a significant investment in ML and labeling, you know, have that team in place? That's a really good question. I think that I was really at the early stage of that journey, like data labeling operation when I started. I mean, I got lucky, right? Because basically there was knowledge or degree in data labeling operation. And so they were opening the doors to anyone who wanted to give it a try. And so as the years go by, now you get people who have been in the space for a few years, like I've been in the space for the past seven years. And uh, that's the type of people that you want to have if you want to lead a data labeling operation team at a big company. And additionally, like the complexity of the data labeling space, not only only in the ecosystem, as I mentioned earlier, there are so many players on the market right now, but also the complexity of the labeling task themselves. All of that have grown exponentially over the years. And that's just like, you need people who are specialized in the domain to make the right decision, but also to make decision very fast. And that's still not completely, I think, understood, but we're getting there. I see more and more people with like a lot of experience getting hired to other places. So there is this idea now that you're looking for people with experience in data labeling. But now when you're a startup or when you only start your journey, you don't have that in-house. You, I think it takes a little bit of time to realize that this is an essential role in the, in the entire AI loop. You mentioned that when you started, there was no degree program. Is there now or have you seen like certifications or that kind of thing? No, not yet. But I think it's going to happen in the next few years. I think that it has to happen. That has become its own specialty. And I really, truly believe that it's going to happen soon. Mm -hmm. So if you're in this role, if you're the data labeling ops team and you know, you're at a larger company that has multiple projects and you're approached with a new project, walk us through kind of the steps of onboarding a new project or initiative or customer, however you would think about it. What are the things you're thinking of? What are the things you're asking them for? And just kind of how do you think about kind of spinning up a new effort? That's a good question. So Basically, you need to talk to the machine learning engineers. You need to talk to the data scientists, understand their needs. What are they looking to accomplish with that labeling task? What is their model about? What do they want to recognize or predict with that model that they, they want to get the data for? That's really what's going to help make sure that you're going to get the right task to the labeler so that you can get the right data labeled, and then you're going to be able to feed your model and train it. So really, there is this discussion on like where they want to go. And then once you frame it, you talk about the task. And either they have already an idea about the task or they don't. They can just tell you, I have 50,000 images of dresses and I want to recognize all the attributes on the dress. Good luck. I need that for like in three months time. Uh -huh. 
and then you go about it. And then, so the idea is to show them the task that you're going to be creating, the guidelines that will go with it, but also like the examples that you're going to give, because the best way to train labeling team on a task is to show them example about how to train, sorry, about how to label specific tasks. So what I used to do, for instance, even at Amazon is create my own task and then work on it myself, label a few images myself to see if that was making sense, if I was covering all the different use cases. And once it was done, I was submitting it to the machine learning team. They were telling me if they like it or not, if that works for them. And then from there, I would train the team. And that goes back to what I was talking about, which is feedback loop. Tell the machine learning engineers, hey, you're going to have to do some quality control after a first pass to see if what you're getting is what you want or not, give feedback and so on and so on. So JJ is to have like a great relationship with the technical team and just like give them in advance the knowledge, get them used to the fact that it's not going to be a one-off thing, a project that's going to be on and on, that's going to be very repetitive, but that we will be there to help them get there with high quality annotations. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, it sounds like a product management type of role, like you're the labeling product manager. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. A lot of people doing labeling operations, some, like they end up also being product managers for machine learning products. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So you've developed this task and you've got this feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the task will often evolve quite a bit from what you originally thought it should be to what you do at scale. Can you talk a little bit about that evolution? Yeah, definitely. I think it's very important to keep in mind that there will be a feedback loop. And that's what I was trying to say earlier is that like you're, you're going to have two types of feedback loops, basically. You're going to have the one that's going to be about training the labelers, making sure they understand your requirements, making sure that they are reaching the, the right quality. And once you get there, you're going to get your data back. And then what happens is that you're going to feed your model with that data. And that's why you're going to realize that your model is responding well to everything that's supposed to be doing. Or sometimes it's responding well to some areas, but not to others. And then in that case, that's actually a feedback loop that's sent to the data science team so that they know that they need to reframe and rework their task to cover those areas that were not working well when they tested their model. And so again, you get into another task that you're going to train the labelers on and you're going to give them another feedback loop and so on and so on. So that's a cycle. Are there some common ways that tasks evolve? I imagine if you've done similar types of use cases, an engineering team may, you know, habitually come to you and say, I want this. And you say, no, you really don't want that because you're going to end up changing it to something else because you've just seen over and over. It doesn't work the way that that they think. But I'm wondering if there are examples of, you know, those kinds of evolutions or transitions where a task starts out as, as X and ends up evolving to Y for whatever reasons. That's a really good question. I would say yes. I'm trying to think about an example, but that's not coming to my mind right now. But I would say what really blew my mind over the years is that I've seen a lot of different companies going after the same problem, trying to solve it. Mm -hmm. And they were doing it in a very different way, which was also like very very intriguing for me because I was like, I saw that, okay, you want to recognize that and the machine learning teams are going to be convinced that the way they are going about it is the right way. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, that's where like it creates like even more like complexity into that space is that there are like a lot of different ways to tackle a problem, exactly the same problem. So that I've seen a lot for sure. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about setting up these tasks. We've talked about the training part. Is there an element of workforce selection that comes to bear when you're spinning up a new effort? Yes, absolutely. So as you, it depends on the task. If you have a task that requires specific knowledge, you want to find a workforce that's going to be able to get that type of specialized people to work on the task, whether or not it's to become laborers, to be training the laborers on the task. That's one. Now you can have also tasks that requires language skills. And if you want to understand the context, let's take the example of content moderation on social media. You want to do it on a lot of different languages, not only in English. So you're going to have to find a workforce that's going to be able to understand Spanish and Brazilian, Portuguese, and so on. And because it's social media, there is a cultural context to it. It's not only knowing or understanding Spanish, it's also understanding the context of the country, right? Like, why would they talk about this politician and so on? Yeah. And so that's where, like, it becomes very tricky to have only one workforce to do all your needs if you have a lot of different needs. You're going to have to have a portfolio of workforces that you're going to be obviously testing before partnering with them, but that will be helping you with all your different data labeling needs. And sometimes it's even like better to have workforces from different parts of the world because they're going to be able to see things with a different angle. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at the various labeling company websites, they all portray themselves as solving all the problems with equal level of, of excellence. And mm -hmm. they all want to kind of be the, the one-stop shop. But it sounds like your experience is that that's not really the case and it shouldn't necessarily be the case. I think that it was probably true a few years back when you were mentioning Mechanical Turk or like maybe there was like Crowdflower at the time. Mm -hmm. The space was like very new. There were very few players and you had to go to one of them to make it work somehow. Or even you have the idea about having companies that were bridging their own in-house labeling tool because they couldn't find anything that was working for them on the market. I mean, even Elon Musk said that on a podcast recently that they had to build their own data labeling platform. So in my experience, I don't think it's true anymore because what happens is that companies are going with one data labeling tool and one workforce. And we know why, because it's so difficult to get all those pieces together. It's so time consuming. And like, as I said earlier, these people are data scientists. They should be working on models. They shouldn't be working on finding the right partners. But they do that. And then all of a sudden, the quality drops. All of a sudden, the cost gets higher or the turnaround time is not good enough. And then everything is kind of like falling apart, but you don't want to go through that process all over again. It's so time consuming to find another partner. So I believe, yes, that the ecosystem is, is great right now. It's crowded, but in a good way, meaning that there are so many options on the market that a company doesn't need to choose one option. They can just play with them depending on what they need at the moment they need it, depending on the model they're working on. I think that we need to keep in mind that nowadays companies have not one model in-house. They have hundreds of models that they need to work on with different formats. And thinking that there will be one-stop shop, I think is, is something that's going to be hard to believe moving forward. 
You mentioned that you've seen kind of this recurring pattern of when you're working with a, a vendor, at some point the quality drops off and the turnaround time gets extended and that kind of thing. Is there something inherent about labeling that causes that to happen or is it more kind of just working with a vendor and they're really focused on the new customer and they kind of let the the older customers languish a little bit? I think, yeah, part of it is working with human beings. Like it's, you know, like you're not like working with tech, you're working with people and they have lives and they have issues and they get sick. And so we have to take that into account again, like the idea about having like data labeled very fast with very good quality. It's going to be hard to maintain that over weeks and weeks just because you are dealing with human beings. And most of the time, these like workforce labeling partners, they are doing the best they can and they want to do a good job. And that's just that sometimes it's very hard. That's the nature of the business. And I think we need to keep that in mind when we are using one of those partners. Mm -hmm. Is that, I think your answer kind of suggests this, but is a big part of your experience in this label ops role helping engineers understand <laughs> that there are humans on the other side of this API that the labeling companies kind of position themselves as like this API that abstracts the messiness of labeling. Do you think that also abstracts away from the humans on the other side of those APIs? And that's a big part of the, the role is helping them understand that. I think it's trying to juggle like what's going on on like every side of the workflow. So yes, it's like talking to machine learning engineers and educating them on how it works and how quality is going to be reached and how quality is going to be maintained, that it takes time. But in the end, they're going to gain from it. So the idea that like, you know, they understand a bit more what's going on in this entire loop, that's not only tech, but they're also human beings involved in the process. And on the other end, like trying also to juggle what's happening with the data labeling companies and see how I can help them. And that happens a lot that we have discussions with them about how they can have a better workflow, how they can have a better QA process in place so that there, there is not a need for too many feedback loops. So it's kind of like understanding what's happening in the entire workflow and find a way to make it work the best you can. Mm -hmm. And we haven't talked much about tooling, obviously important part of the overall workflow. How have you seen that evolve over the years? Oh yeah, definitely. When I started, a lot of the tasks were bounding boxes. So really like you didn't have to have very high tech tooling to make it work in into the machine learning world. But over the years, I've seen so many data labeling platform trying to become more sophisticated, trying to respond to special needs from certain machine learning companies. They have like very great features. They can do segmentation. They can do relationship between words like in the text. It has become very sophisticated. And all these companies are tackling in a different way, I would say, which is very interesting to see. And they are like pretty, some of them are even like really good for certain verticals, but not for others or certain format, but not for others. So mm -hmm. definitely data labeling has become more and more complex. And if you add on the top, the new commerce, as I mentioned earlier about synthetic data or augmented data, then it becomes even more complex. So really there is a lot to play with. And it's just a connection of being able to select the right one and to connect them with each other when you need it. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about measuring quality for labeling efforts. Yes. So, I mean, quality 
everyone wants to reach 100%. I talked to people who were saying, well, I don't want anything else than 99 or 100%. Mm -hmm. That's a bit complicated to reach. But the idea is to be able to uh, check the quality. You have to do it regularly. Once you're able to check the quality of the work that has been done by the labelers, what does that mean? Is that you're going to have a sample of your data that you're going to look at and you're going to look, let's say you look at 100 images and 95 of them have been labeled correctly. So you have 95% accuracy rate. You're happy with that, right? Like how are you going to maintain that accuracy level weeks after weeks? And I think, again, it goes back to what I was talking about, which is the feedback loop. You want to make sure that you keep an eye on the quality. Again, you're working with people who are labeling, even though they are using like performance tooling in the end, if you don't have a good labeling workforce doing the labeling correctly, the quality is not going to be good. So really like the idea is to being able to do the quality control regularly and make sure that if you see that something is dropping, you are able to address it as soon as possible so that the labelers can retrain and can perform well moving forward and even correct the labels that were done incorrectly in the past. So yeah, it goes back to this idea about this cycle of quality control. Mm -hmm. Is that quality control being measured against, you know, kind of what's that process? Is it, you know, having internal folks spot check or, you know, where does that come from? So everyone is going at it in a different way, but ideally, I think, as you mentioned earlier, the internal labelers in a company are going to be the one with most of the knowledge. And ideally, you would use those people for QA. You would use those people to mm. check the quality of the work that has been outsourced mm -hmm. to make sure that it's maintained, but also to give some feedback and retrain than anything else, because Cost-wise, it probably makes more sense to do it that way than to have like an army of people in-house that would do the, the whole labeling and the whole QA. Mm -hmm. And are there established kind of norms about, you know, what percentage of labels you want to spot check or, or that kind of thing? There are a lot of opinions on that. What I've been taught over the years is that if you look at 100 every other day, you're going to be able to have a good idea about what's going on, even if it's like, 10,000 images that have been labeled, that's still going to give you a good idea about what's going on in your data set. Okay. So it sounds, you know, in some ways it's less about establishing kind of statistical significance of sampling or anything like that, and more about just having a feel for how it's going, kind of the art versus science thing. Yeah. And it has to be done regularly. So right. obviously if you do that once a month, you're not going to get a good idea about it. But if you do it like every other day, you're going to have a really good idea about what's going on, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I asked this question earlier, I want to re-ask it. When you see a drop in quality, you know, it sounds like one of the tools in your toolbox is training and feedback and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, How often are you implementing strategies like aggregating labelers and taking a quorum, that kind of thing versus training? And, and what's the thought process around these kinds of strategies? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. Definitely, there are like different ways to go about making sure that quality is going to be high. So on one of the projects I worked on in the past, the idea is to have, we were like having several people on the same image at the same time. And mm -hmm. like if we had like three agreements on the way they were labeling, if the three people were labeling the same way, then we were considering it as correct, even if you were not eyeballing the data that was delivered. Mm -hmm. And we were doing that as long as the quality was not great and was not maintained. And once it was done, we were dropping from like three people to two people and then from two people to one person. And why we had to do that, it's a question of budget, right? So you have to be able to balance your like search for like quality and the money you have to spend on it, right? If you get three people per image, obviously it's going to cost way more. But that's also a good way about doing crowdsourcing, right? If you go into, uh, you use Mechanical Turk or Appen and you have three people on the same image, even though you feel that the knowledge is probably, you know, you don't, you're not sure if people know about what they are labeling, you can have like certain degree of certainty that this is correct if three people out of three are responding the same way. So you're right, there are like a lot of different ways to go about quality. Again, depending on the complexity of the task, the budget, the turnaround time, you're going to have to juggle all these options and find the best one for your, your case. Mm -hmm. And how often is it you as the kind of data label ops on the customer side that is thinking about that and having to come up with the solution versus the vendor that is promising to kind of manage the quality for you? Like how hands-on does quality management need to be? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty hands-on, I would say. I think that's where also it's one of the strengths of the data labeling operation people is that they can be like very objective in the way of doing things. So ideally, I mean, I was the one proposing and there is this idea about also rejecting, right? Like understand how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. And there are like those three metrics that are really important that help you measure if your data labeling project have been successful or not. It's obviously the quality of the data, the turnaround time, how fast they can deliver. I have customers asking for a five-minute turnaround time. How do you get high quality with a five-minute turnaround time when you have people who are trained and that are like on the other side of the world with like the time difference and so on? And then you have the budget. How much money are you able to spend on data labeling? And so you have to take those three metrics into consideration each time that you are starting a data labeling project. That's the only way you can understand fully what you want to do about it. Mm -hmm. And in other areas of tech, and I guess life, you have this classic like time, cost, quality, pick any two. <laughs> yeah. Does that idea recur in labeling? Well, I believe you can reach three of them, but obviously you're right. Like depending on the solution, yes, you're going to have to, to privilege which of those two are the most important ones to you. And then you might be able to reach the third one as well, but you need to be more flexible on the third one. So mm -hmm. for instance, I'm going to give you an example. If you use crowdsourcing for your labeling, it's going to be super cheap. You're going to have a fast turnaround time and quality you're not 100% sure about it. Yeah. If you have an internal team doing the labeling, super high quality, 
but also super expensive. And the fast turnaround time, it depends on the size of your team. If you have five people, they can do only what they can do, you know, during their day. So they might not have a big volume done within 24 hours or a week or so. So yes, you're right. Each time there are like several options and you have to write to think about what matters to you the most. Mm -hmm. I'd love to get your take on the various ethical considerations with regards to labeling, particularly with many of the labeling workforces being remote and with, you know, workforces that are used to a much lower kind of income than in Western countries. There have been some recent articles. There's a Wired article, uh, not, not Wired, it's actually MIT Tech Review article by Karen Howe talking about how one of the label, labeling companies was kind of taking advantage of economic turmoil in Venezuela. You know, Facebook is, was getting sued by a labeling company in Kenya, I think. How have you kind of thought about and managed the various ethical considerations? Yeah, that's a very important topic. I think before answering your question, I think I would like to ask two questions. The first one is like, how does it work for outsourcing in general? Not only for data labeling, but if you think about recycling, we are doing that already in other domain, in other verticals. Are we comfortable with it? Do we need to revisit it? But that's a bigger discussion. That's a broader discussion that we should probably have as well. Mm -hmm. The second one is, you're probably mentioning, so data labeling in general, but I think that the article was also mentioning content moderation because you can have like some disturbing content and that might affect, you know, psychologically some people. Is it needed? Do we need content moderation? I think as a parent myself, I want to feel that the internet is a bit safer for my kids mm -hmm. and I want to have a choice to protect them if I can. So in my view, it's very important that we keep doing content moderation. Now, now to answer, and one thing I would like to add is that, yes, content moderation has been outsourced, but it's not entirely outsourced. I know for a fact that content moderation is currently done in the United States and also in Europe. So the question, and I've done, I mean, I when I worked my first job, I was not doing content moderation, but I had some pretty disturbing things when I was doing the job. And so it's unfortunately, it's part of like the low income jobs in the data labeling space. To jump in, I think, you know, you're already raising several important issues. One, I think, is that there are a multitude of potential issues. It's not just one issue that and it's not solely outsource versus in-source. There's a lot of complexity to it. But I also thought the first point you made around the questions in labeling and outsourced labeling in particular are the same as other kinds of outsourcing and even more broadly, other types of commerce. Like the first thing I thought of was like in coffee, we've got fair trade, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, maybe the future is like fair trade labeling or something like that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great comment that you're making right now. I think that that's the future. And that's what I was going to talk about is that I think that the idea is that yes, content moderation is needed, but how do you do it? 
is what needs to be improved. And definitely throughout like the years, I've seen companies taking action in that field. So for instance, they're going to be having like a therapist on site so that people who feel like they need to talk to someone, they can straight away go and talk to that person. Or they can also do content moderation only on a voluntary basis. It's not something you're not going to lose your job if you don't want to do it. You have the choice. And these people also work less hours than other regular labelers working on regular labeling tasks just because it's a way to recognize that, okay, you're doing a very, very difficult job and you don't need to work as many hours as the other people doing other tasks. I think it's the beginning. And every company has their own vision on what it should look like. But I've seen a lot of companies, especially FANG, making decisions to work only with companies that have made that type of efforts for their own workers. You're right that I, I believe that the future is going to be that there will be some sort of committee that would like edict the, the rules in terms of fair data labeling. How does that work? How you protect the workers and so on. And that's definitely something that I would like to see happening. Mm -hmm. If anything, the unifying thread between the various aspects of this conversation is recognizing the humanity of the folks that are doing the labeling and the implications of that, both from your process as well as the now the ethical considerations we're discussing. Yeah, definitely. I, one thing I would like to add to that is that all these people, like a lot of them are not educated. They don't have like degrees and and that's their way also to go and start having like an education around IT, how to use a computer, how to label. And a lot of the companies I've been working with uh, throughout the years have promoted internally all these people from doing the labeling to doing quality control to being team lead to being program manager. So there is like all this new industry that's going to generate educated people that will be able to get like good salaries and grow into their career. So I was one of them, even if I was doing the same thing, but in the United States, but I started at that level and then I went up. So I think that's very important also to, to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the future of data label operations? So I think that the ecosystem needs to get unified. I think that there are like so many players that it's going to be hard to moving forward for a company going into machine learning to find their way, even though there are incredible tools on the, on the market right now. So that's one. So unifying the ecosystem is, is a very important one. And for the role in itself, data labeling operation, I think that we're going to see more and more of data labeling operation people hired, even in smaller companies or new companies going into the, the journey instead of hiring only machine learning engineers and, and think, okay, we're good, we can start our journey. There will be this idea that other non-technical people are really important to the journey. Awesome. Well, Audrey, thanks so much for joining us and sharing a bit of your wealth of experience in labeling. Well, thank you. I was very honored to be on your podcast. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.